Well, good morning. I want to welcome you uh, once again this Sunday. Hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving celebration uh, these last few days, and uh, so glad to see you today. We are in week number seven of our series, Creed, where we have been exploring together this fall uh, what we believe, uh, the heart of the Christian faith, uh, by following the path of the Apostles' Creed. And each week, I'm reminding us of two things. First, whenever we read and confess the creed, we are both simultaneously uh, making a statement of rebellion and of allegiance. We are rebelling against, we are denying the unbiblical uh, ideologies of our culture of our day, while at the same time, we are proclaiming our allegiance to God and to his kingdom. That's the first thing. The second thing I've been reminding us each day is as we confess the Apostles' Creed together, we are doing it as part of God's global kingdom all around the world for 2,000 years. And that's an amazing, amazing thing for us to contemplate. I hope that you're thinking about that each week. So I wanna invite you right now, if you would, to stand with me as we together confess our faith. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen, amen. You may be seated. Well, this morning, we're gonna begin looking at the final part of the Apostles' Creed, which, which focuses on God's spirit and God's people. And today, we're gonna be talking about God's Holy Spirit. Now, I wanna let you know after today, we're gonna kinda hit pause on this series. Uh, we're gonna begin our Advent series next Sunday called God With Us, which we're gonna uh, be doing, exploring Matthew's account um, of that first Christmas. And then we're gonna come back and hit that button again in January and resume and complete our, our study of the creed. And we will finally get to talk about that line some of you have been wondering about this whole time, that, that line about the Holy Catholic Church. So um, I'm not telling you today um, what it's about. If you haven't gone and done your research, which many of you have, but we're gonna talk about it when we get back. I, I thought when I started this series I could finish it in seven weeks, but... I just couldn't go that fast uh, through a number of the things. And so we're gonna hopefully be following the lead of the Holy Spirit in this and taking our time studying uh, what's very, very important to our faith. And here's the part of the creed we're gonna study today, that line, I believe in the Holy Spirit. And I want us to look at our, our key text today, which is in the Gospel of John, the 16th chapter. It's verses five through 15. And if you've read John's gospel a few times, maybe you know that these verses come toward the end of a section in John's gospel, chapters 14 through 16, where the Holy Spirit is just 
everywhere. The Holy Spirit in these chapters is mentioned more than, than 20 times, and there's so much truth here. I mean, we could spend weeks and weeks and weeks studying uh, what is told us about the Holy Spirit in these chapters, but let's just read these verses and see what God has to teach us today. Beginning in verse five, it says, Jesus speaking, of course, now I am going to him who sent me, yet none of you asks me, where are you going? Because I have said these things, you are filled with grief. But I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. In regard to righteousness, because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine, that is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. And this is the word of the Lord. Now, with Jesus' thoughts in mind, I want us to kind of get into this with a thought experiment. I want you to imagine how amazing it would be if Jesus was your personal life coach. If you were in a one-on-one -on -one relationship with him as your mentor, maybe like he was your life group leader. He's just always there with you. He helps you navigate all your crises, all your decisions, all your challenges. He's, he's in the room, I mean, with you. You can see him giving you wisdom whenever you're confused, encouragement whenever you're feeling kind of down. You know, when you're deciding what job to take, you can look over at Jesus and he's gonna tell you if you should take this one or not. You know, you get up tomorrow morning and you're late from work and it's like, boom, all the traffic on the Altamont is gone. Because <laughs> Jesus just took care of it for you, right? You know, maybe this last weekend you forgot to bake a pie for Thanksgiving, boom, there's one of grandma's famous pecan pies alongside of a carton of Cool Whip right there, all ready to go. Maybe <laughs> you're a student here and you forgot all last week all last week to do your algebra homework and you cannot get it done today. Boom, Jesus does it for you. He takes care of it. It's 100%. You're gonna get an A on that. Imagine, imagine your dog dies. Boom, Jesus is there and he raises your dog from the dead. Imagine your cat dies. Jesus is there, right there to help you bury that cat. All you haters, just go ahead. Send your emails. Send them to no one cares at southwinds.org. How about this one? Let's keep imagining. Imagine, imagine I was standing up here with a letter and reading it. It said, Southwinds family, it's been a great 
almost 19 years as your lead pastor. We've seen so many lives change. We've seen over 1,300 people baptized. We've seen marriages rescued, lives turned around, addictions broken. We've built two different buildings to reach more and more people for Jesus, but it's time. It's time for me to move on. I've taken a job in Maui (laughs) as a sailboat captain. Now imagine I read that letter to you and uh, hopefully some of you would be a little bit sad. But then imagine I next said, I have more news and it's amazing news. We have a new pastor and he's an incredible hire. He's the best teacher I have ever heard. He's the most loving, the most insightful counselor I've ever seen. He's an amazing healer and he can take care of all of your problems. His name is Jesus Christ and he will be Southwind's new pastor. Now just think about how incredible that would be. I mean, you would actually be able to become as Christ follower who physically walks and talks with Jesus every single day. But here's what I want you to see. Our passage today tells us that as amazing as that sounds, that actually would not be for our best. In fact, the main idea for our teaching today is simply this. Maybe you want to write this down in your notes somewhere. The Holy Spirit inside of you is better than Jesus beside you. The Holy Spirit inside of you is better than Jesus beside you. And and, and as amazing as it sounds, like for Jesus to be your pastor or to be your personal life coach, it is Jesus himself, did you notice? Jesus himself who says that the Holy Spirit inside you is better for your own good, our translation said. Just just let that sink in for a moment. He's better inside of us. Now, if you go back to the beginning of this passage that we've read, Jesus' disciples are confused. Earlier in chapter 16, he's told them that he's leaving. Right after he's told them bad times are ahead, times when they'll face persecution, maybe even death, he's told them that he is going to die And though they don't get it, they don't understand it, he tells them he's gonna be resurrected and then he's going to ascend to the Father, just like we've been studying these last few weeks. He tells them, I'm returning to my Father, but I don't want you to think for a second that I've left you. Notice what he tells them in verse seven, this key verse, he says, but I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. So Jesus, Jesus, Jesus himself says, it is for your good that I'm leaving. He says, if I don't leave, then the counselor, the Holy Spirit, he will not come to you. And we always have a hard time with that one, don't we? Haven't you read that and kind of scratched your head and thought, that doesn't really make sense. It seems like it would be better if Jesus was right here. But Jesus says that. That's what Jesus tells us. It's actually better for us if he goes away and if the Holy Spirit comes. And in verses eight through 15, Jesus goes on to tell us that what the Holy Spirit does is he's gonna convict the world about sin and righteousness and judgment, that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth, so he will guide you into all truth, that the Holy Spirit will glorify Jesus. There's just so much that the the Holy Spirit will do, Jesus said. And, and this passage, I think you, you sense as we read it, is loaded with truth. But at the heart 
of what Jesus wants us to see is this. It is the Holy Spirit who just brings into reality all that God the Father and God the Son, all that they want to do in our world and in our lives. The Holy Spirit is the person who takes all of God, his heart, his beauty, his mission, his truth, and he makes it all come to life in you and me. See, the Holy Spirit, he is our only hope for life change. The Holy Spirit, he is our only hope to actually experience God, God's love, God's salvation in our life. The Holy Spirit, he is our only hope for seeing people your loved ones, family members who don't know Christ, the Holy Spirit is our only hope for them to come to faith and new life, salvation in Jesus. If the Holy Spirit doesn't come, then none of those things that I've said are gonna happen. So we're gonna think about what it means to say I believe in the Holy Spirit today, about his role in our lives. And we're gonna do this a little different than we've been doing the last few weeks. We're gonna take those categories that we've been using and that's gonna be our, our structure for this message. We're gonna look at clarity and balance and counsel and reorientation just to unpack what it means to believe in the Holy Spirit. So here's the first thing, that's clarity. And what we're looking at here is who the Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit does. This is what we wanna get clarity on, these two things. Who is the Holy Spirit? What does the Holy Spirit do? And it's important, I, I hope you heard how I worded that first question. I didn't say what is the Holy Spirit. I said who. And that's very, very important. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the triune God. And, and the creed helps us with that if we're paying attention because think about it, every week you see it in the structure of the creed as we confess it. Every week we confess our belief in God the Father and then Jesus the Son and then the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a person, and to make this crystal clear, I wanna give the opposite. The Holy Spirit is not an impersonal force or power. Anytime, if you ever find yourself referring to the Holy Spirit with the word it, you're making a mistake. And if you believe that the word it is correct, you're in error, and actually you would be what the church has called historically a heretic. The Holy Spirit is not an impersonal force. He's, he's not a, a power. He's not like you know, the invisible magic when Harry Potter raises his wand, you know, just the floating smoke through the air. He is a person. He is the third person of the triune God. And what that also means is this. He is equal with the Father and the Son. The Holy Spirit is God. Now, the Bible talks a lot about that, his equality with the Father and Son. We could spend hours unpacking this reality, but what I wanna do in our, our, our moments today is drill down on that second question, what does the Holy Spirit do? See, understanding this actually gives us a lot of clarity about who he is. And, and before we can answer this question, we need to understand something about how the Holy Spirit operates, functions within the Trinity. That means we should take a little bit of time to explore the amazing, mysterious reality of the Trinity. Let's just talk about how the Holy Spirit functions in that, that broader context of the other two persons of the Trinity. And what we see unfold in the Bible is that God's salvation of his people is actually a Trinitarian work. We, we always like to say things like Jesus saves, but if you pay careful attention, whenever the New Testament's talking about salvation, 
you're almost always going to find in the context of what's being said, sometimes explicitly, Father and Son and Holy Spirit, again and again and again. It's a Trinitarian work. And what that simply means is this, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they all play equal roles in that work of loving and saving us. Here's a a simple way to describe it. The Father plans salvation. The Son achieves salvation. He does that on the cross. And then the Holy Spirit applies salvation to us. This is what the Bible teaches us about the Trinitarian nature of salvation. Kind of unpacking that just a little bit, here's what that looks like. The Bible tells us that from the foundations of the world, the Father planned to save his broken world through the incarnation of his Son, through the life and the death and the resurrection of the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. The Bible tells us that the Son of God comes and takes on flesh, enters human history in the person of Jesus to achieve salvation. Jesus, the Son, comes into our broken world. He lives the life we should have lived. He perfectly obeys God, and then he dies the death we deserve to die for our sin. And on the cross, Jesus declares it is finished. Salvation is accomplished, it's achieved. And then he rises from the dead and he ascends to the right hand of the Father. And since then, the work of the Holy Spirit is to take the salvation that the Father planned and the Son achieved and to apply that to real people in real life with real sin. And what this tells us is without the present work of the Holy Spirit, none of us could ever come to know the love of the Father. It would just be an idea Without the work of the Spirit, none of us would able, be able to receive the salvation that Jesus achieved for us. We would still be stuck in our sin. See, the Holy Spirit is the one who connects the power of God to our daily lives. See, apart from the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, none of these things that we believe as Christians would actually be possible. They would just be ideas. And so I hope you're getting this. What I'm saying is as much as we need the Father's love and the Son's work on the cross, his death in our place, we also need just as much the Holy Spirit to apply these things to us personally. Otherwise, they're just ideas. We cannot attain them. And maybe you could think of it this way. Some of us kind of think of the Holy Spirit as like an optional add-on. You know, you get to check that extra box. You went a little bit extra I'm just telling you today, I hope you see, the Holy Spirit is not an optional add-on. He's not, you know, he's not an optional add-on. Some of us think this for people who are like, you know, really serious about following Jesus. Or, you know, maybe for those people that just have that more, you know, charismatic type of personality. The Holy Spirit is everything, He's the one who begins. He's the one who sustains. He's the one who brings to completion our lives in Christ. We can't come to Jesus apart from the Holy Spirit. We can't be sanctified or changed apart from the Holy Spirit. And we cannot finally arrive at our destination one day without the Holy Spirit. He's the one who just makes it all reality. And here's the the truth, whether you've ever thought about it this or not, whether you've ever considered the Holy Spirit or not, we are totally dependent on the Holy Spirit for everything. 
That means anything that's ever happened in your life, any life change you've ever seen, that's Holy Spirit. Any love for God you've ever known, Holy Spirit. Any time you've felt God's love for you, Holy Spirit. I mean, if you've ever felt restless, discontented with your life, you wanna change, you wanna grow, you wanna be somebody different, you wanna be more like Jesus, Holy Spirit. Everything in the Christian life is made possible by the Holy Spirit, and it is unbelievable, amen? So let's just kinda take a deep breath right now. Could you just like breathe in? Think about what you've just heard. I mean, it's just amazing, isn't it? We need the Holy Spirit. Now, in saying all that I've said, I'm still so conscious there's so much more we could say about him, but, but today I, I kinda wanna just give you a quick flyover tour, and so, to get you ready, that's why I had you take a breath for a moment because you needed to catch your breath because we're really about to get into it, all right? I'm gonna, I'm gonna show you on the screen 22 things the New Testament says the Holy Spirit does for us and I'm not really gonna explain them much. I just want you to see them on the screen. So here they are. And that's a lot, right? That's on purpose. Uh, you, you can like take a picture of it if you want. Uh, So you can check it later. You can watch the message later. But these are 22 things the Holy Spirit does for us. And I'm gonna read them very quickly. And you'll notice the first eight come from John 16. The Holy Spirit counsels us. He convicts us of sin. He shows us Christ's righteousness. He, He reminds us of Jesus' victory over our enemies. He guides us into the truth. He speaks to us what Jesus says. He declares to us what's gonna come in the the future. He he glorifies Jesus. All that is just in John 16. And then he also causes us to be born again. You you can't, you know, make yourself be born again. Have you ever noticed that? No one gives birth to themselves. True physically, it's also true spiritually. The Holy Spirit does that. He gives us spiritual power. He adopts us into God's family. He brings unity in the church He pours God's love out into our hearts. He produces the fruit of the Spirit in us, which is really the character of Jesus, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control. He produces joy in us. He gives us spiritual gifts to serve one another and our world. He sets us free from the bondage of sin. He testifies to Jesus. He connects us to Jesus because he is the spirit of Christ. He inspires the scripture. He justifies us before God. He just gives us life. We need the Holy Spirit for everything. And the sooner, and the sooner that we see that reality, the sooner that we see what God, uh, the Holy Spirit has already done in our lives and the potential for what God, the Holy Spirit can do in our lives, the more all these things will begin to come true in our lives. Just a few years ago, uh, Ignatius Hazim of Syria, who is a patriarch of the Greek Orthodox Church of Antioch, which is in Syria, he put it like this. Without the Holy Spirit, God is distant, Christ is in the past, the gospel is a dead letter, the church is simply an organization, authority is always domination, mission is propaganda, worship is the summoning of spirits, and Christian action is the morality of slaves. In other words, we're just doing stuff to make us feel better about ourselves. 
In other words, look at that whole thing. We're nothing without the Holy Spirit. But with the Holy Spirit, we have all the power we need to do all that God has commanded us to do. So that's clarity. Who is the Holy Spirit? What does the Holy Spirit do? Second, balance. And notice that I have put up here the Father, Son, and, all caps, Holy Spirit. See, as biblical Christians, and I think most of us know this, we affirm our belief in the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We believe God is three in one. But in day-to-day life, we often don't stay that balanced, right? Most of us in our tradition tend to be more focused on the Father and the Son. You know, God sent the Son and Jesus the Son died for us, that salvation. And a lot of times we just kind of stop and just leave it there. You see, in churches like ours, you could say the functional trinity might be more like the Father, the Son, and the Holy Bible, right? We end up kind of leaving the Spirit out of it a lot of times, and maybe it's because we've looked at some excesses that we're troubled by, maybe because we're just not quite sure how the Holy Spirit works. It's sort of easier for us, you know, to put the book, to put the Holy Bible in the place of the Holy Spirit, and so it ends up being sort of like we're planned, saved by the Father, planning salvation, the, the Son accomplishing salvation, and then knowing the Bible more. See, functionally, we end up operating like that a lot of times, and when we think like that, I think we shouldn't be surprised how often we find that we're spiritually weak. We, we end up thinking, a lot of us, you know, the answer's got to be to all my problems, I just need to know more Bible. If I know more Bible, then I'll have what I need. I can change and I can defeat sin and I can live the life I've always wanted to live. We, we think our knowledge, we think our understanding is the key to sanctifying ourselves and it leaves us living a powerless Christian life. So what we need is Trinitarian balance. See, if the Christian life, I came across this great illustration, I love it. If the Christian life was like riding a tricycle, and it would have been really cool if I could have had an adult-sized tricycle up here. But if it was like riding a tricycle, then this poor view of the Trinity that we have, Father, Son, and Holy Bible, would sort of be like riding a tricycle, you know, with one flat wheel. And if that's what happens, you know, you end up, one wheel's flat, you just kind of go around in a circle. You never really get anywhere. And, and what also happens is you're constantly having to stick your leg down to maintain balance, and that makes you really tired after a while. We end up trying to compensate for that missing third wheel, and we just wear ourselves out, and we stay stuck in our sin because we don't engage with the Holy Spirit. Now, if you've been here for very long, you should know, almost without me saying, that I am not in any way diminishing the Bible. Not in any way. You don't remember how I'm always telling you you need to read the Bible, right? Um, I'm not in any way diminishing the Bible. We do believe that the Bible is the primary way God speaks to us today, but, but the Bible is not God. The Holy Spirit is God. And oh, by the way, the Holy Spirit inspired the Bible, right? It's his word. 
It's the word of the Holy Spirit. And so unless we acknowledge the Holy Spirit and unless we invite him to do the work in us and in our church that he wants to do, we're gonna end up probably just keeping on going in circles on our, our tricycle, never fully living into the life that God has for us. It is Father, Son, and everybody say and, and Holy Spirit. We need Trinitarian balance. Third, counsel. And counsel is about doing life in the Spirit. And we know from reading what Jesus talks about in the Gospel of John, the Holy Spirit brings counsel to our lives. So if we carry the tricycle analogy a little bit further, the question then is, if there is a third wheel and if we do inflate it and get some balance and if we lean into that, what does it look like? I mean, how do I live life in the Spirit? That's the question. And this is where it gets really practical. And one of the best passages to study for this is Galatians chapter five, verses 16 through 25. And what we see in these verses is this contrast that Paul lays out between the life in the flesh, that's like a deflated wheel life, and a life in the spirit, a life marked by power, a life marked by God's life itself. Listen to what Paul writes, Galatians 5, 16 to 25. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And that's a picture of what happens when we live apart from this spirit. But you know, if we inflate the third wheel, we, we see the Holy Spirit as God, we've been engaging with him, we lean on him as God, we walk with him as God, what happens? Well, verse 22 says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Now, I just wanna ask you, those last few verses up here, is, isn't that how you wanna live? Love and joy and peace, and like, aren't those the kind of people you wanna live with? Yeah. People who are living like that? I, I wanna highlight for you, this is kind of for you to be able to go further on your own or in your life group, think about this some more. There's some three key phrases that describe life in the Spirit in this passage, and they are, we are commanded to walk by the Spirit, or this translation says live by the Spirit. There's a Greek word that can be translated each way. It means the same thing. That's the verse uh, 16. We are commanded to be led by the Spirit. That's verse 18. And then we are commanded to keep in step with the Spirit, verse 25. So every day, if we know Christ, if we are in Christ, same thing, that means the Holy Spirit is in us. That means he is working to make us more like Jesus. Here's, there's a question, are we surrendering to his work? You ought to write this down in your notes. 
Am I surrendering to the Holy Spirit's work in my life? Are we walking with the Spirit? Are we being led by the Spirit? Are we keeping in step with the Spirit? And maybe you hear this and you say, oh, I wanna do that, but how do I do that? I mean, maybe you're asking how. J.D. Greer, a pastor, uh, has an excellent book called Jesus Continued, and it's all about the Holy Spirit. And he outlines five practical ways in his book that we can be led by Christ. I'm gonna give them to you pretty quickly. First, through God's word. This is the first way that we're led by the Spirit. God's word teaches us what it means to be led by the Spirit. Again, we believe that the Bible is the primary way that God speaks to us, amen? That's why we read it. That's why we memorize it. That's why we study it. That's why we meditate on it. We see this in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Holy Spirit, friends, listen to me. He wants to speak to you through the Bible. But you have to open it and read it. Some of you wonder, how come I never hear from the Holy Spirit? He's saying, how come you never open my book? And I think some of us, we, we get in this place where we kind of feel paralyzed. It's like, I don't know where to start. Or maybe you're thinking right now, I have failed at this so many times. And all I can say to you right now is, by the power of the Spirit, you have to move past that. And you can. Don't overcomplicate this, all right? Just open the Bible and start reading. There are, there are thousands of plans, thousands of different ways for you to enter into engagement with God's word. Pick one. Just pick one. Try it for a while. If it doesn't work, pick another one. If you don't find that that works for you, ask a friend. Ask a pastor. You can figure out a way to get into God's work. And I'm just telling you, you're shooting yourself in the foot if you fail to open the Bible. Uh, you could put it this way. Use the Nike approach to reading the Bible. You know what that is, right? Just do it. Just do it. Start somehow. Start today. Don't start tomorrow. Don't say, oh, I'll start January 1st. That'll just be one more New Year's resolution you fail to keep, right? Why do you wanna wait for another month? Just start. Do it when you get home if you're not doing it. It's better than watching a football game, I guarantee you. I, I could say something about some of your football teams, but I won't, because I'm trying to be filled with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> the second way we can experience the leadership of the Holy Spirit is through our own giftings. See, the, the, the church, the people of God, we, we function like a body. We each have gifts. This is how Paul describes it in 1 Corinthians 12, four through seven. He says, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. And you notice the Trinitarian shape of this? The spirit, the Lord, talking about Jesus, the son, God, the Father, works in all of these things in each person. And then verse seven says, now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. God has given you spiritual gifting. He's given that to you, and its purpose is to bless everyone else in the body. 
See, are you using that? Are you experiencing the Holy Spirit and using your giftings? And, and what this is really telling us, this is pretty cool. It, it says, if you will, in your own gifting, cooperate with the way the, that the Lord made you, the way he gifted you, then you can experience the Holy Spirit's gifting just by doing what you're already good at doing, what he's gifted you to do. What a deal, right? Through your giftings. Third, Holy Spirit leads us through the church. We experience the Spirit's leadership through the church. And you know, when you go to the book of Acts, the most common way that we see the Spirit leading God's people is actually through the body. And too often, I, I think, and this is a particularly American problem, our culture, we, we see our faith as just what happens in our individual lives. See, a lot of us, the whole barometer of our spiritual life every day is, how was my quiet time? How good was my quiet time? How good was my quiet time? My quiet time sucked this morning. God doesn't love me. You know, that, that we just think like that. It's just all about, you see the problem, it's all about me. It's just about how I'm doing. And I'm just telling you, you'll, you'll never be truly led by the Spirit by yourself. We need each other. I hope you recognize it when you come here week after week, when you gather with your life group week after week, something unique happens when God's people gather together. Things happen there, here, that happen nowhere else. And again, it's not just this room on Sunday, but it is only when you're with God's people. And see, some of us, we're, we're missing out on the Spirit's leadership because we're not with God's people. See, practically speaking, I'll put it this way. If you disconnect from the church, you are disconnecting from the Holy Spirit because that's where he guides us forth. We experience the Holy Spirit's leadership in our lives through our spirit sometimes. Uh, a couple of examples of this in the Old and New Testament in Nehemiah 2.12, uh, Nehemiah, he says this, then I arose in the night and I had a few men with me and I told no one, pay attention to this, what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. See, in, in his own spirit, he's saying, God impressed something on me to go do for someone else. And sometimes we experience the Holy Spirit's leadership by him impressing something on us that we can't shake. There's another example with Paul in Acts chapter 17, verse 16. It says, now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. And what I want you to notice about these two examples particularly is that both of these men are burdened for a city. It's not primarily about them and their spiritual life. It's about mission. It's about God's mission. They're impressed in their spirit because they see things and th things in the world that ought not to be. Cities of people who need to know who Jesus is. God speaks through their spirit. So we can experience the leadership of the Holy Spirit in, in our spirit. Lastly, and this is pretty close uh, to number four. Number five is through our circumstances. Now, I think you probably recognize both of these last two can be hard to nail down at times. Uh, an example of this fifth one is 1 Corinthians 16, verses eight and nine. Paul says, but I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost because a wide door for effective ministry has been opened to me, yet many oppose me. 
So Paul's just looking at his circumstances and he's saying, there's an open door here and I'm gonna step through it. And sometimes for us, this is about us trying to listen to the Holy Spirit, figure out what happens next. We're looking at opportunities that are around us and if the, there's like an open door, you know, we can walk through it being led by the Spirit. And then have you noticed sometimes the Holy Spirit closes doors? You know why he does that? Because he wants us to experience the love of God. And sometimes God loving us is God closing a door for us because we don't know what's best for us so many times. We can't know, but the Holy Spirit knows. I wanna say one other thing about the Spirit's leading, either in our spirit or through our circumstances. Uh, Both of these things can be very subjective. And so we should be careful. We should, we should measure what we think we're understanding against the word of God. And we should take what we're understanding, we think we're understanding, and, and bring it to other people in our community. You know, uh, Let the church speak into that. We shouldn't just go on our impressions all the time. And, and one of the things that I've noticed, it's just kind of interesting to me how often some people say the spirit is leading them. And the spirit just amazingly always seems to lead them to do what they would have done anyway. Have you ever noticed that? If every time you think the Spirit's leading you, just be honest with yourself. If you think, I would have done that anyway, maybe it's not the Holy Spirit. And, and I think sometimes we like to kind of grab the Holy Spirit and use the Holy Spirit, right? To justify or buttress something we wanna do anyway. So just be careful about that. And again, with all of this, there's so much more to say um, about doing life in this, in this spirit. But I think this kind of gives us a solid uh, platform to begin. We need the Holy Spirit to counsel us. This is what this is really about. It's calling us to live a, a spirit-aware life where, where we are always thinking, always saying, you know, I'm not alone in the, Holy, in the world. Holy Spirit, you are with me and you're leading me and I want to experience your leading because I know that your leading produces good things in my life, my character, things like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness, self-control, so many good things. So finally, number four, Reorientation, and this is about reorienting our lives away from self-help towards spirit help. And and I think you see, we've kind of been contrasting throughout this message, uh, the way we can often be where we just toil and work hard and we do it all in the flesh and we just end up tired and we just end up with fleshly results. We're just living by our own strength. We're just living according to our own ideas. And we shouldn't be surprised that we don't see God's power in our lives and in our church. So how can we push back against that? How can we reorient away from self-help towards spirit help? Well, the simplest answer that I think we can give is we need to be filled with the spirit. Ephesians 5.18 tells us, and it's a command, be filled with the spirit. So very briefly, what does that mean and how do we do that? Now, I understand in what I'm about to say, there's a lot of theological discussion around this whole subject. There's a lot of other things that some of you may have heard, some of you may have been taught 
Um, I may agree or disagree with them, I don't know, but here's what we believe. We believe and we teach that the Bible tells us there's one baptism of the Spirit which happens when we come to faith in Christ, when the Spirit regenerates us, when he saves us, gives us new life, he comes and he indwells us. We, we see this all through the New Testament. In the book of Acts, we see it in the epistles. And so we believe that one time the Spirit of God comes on you in baptism and you get all of him. He indwells you. He will never leave you. But at the same time, the Bible also shows us that we can be filled over and over and over again with the Spirit and his power. And that's what Ephesians 5.18 is, is about. If you were to study that verse, you will see that that, uh, that uh, phrase translated be filled is actually one word. It's a present tense verb in the Greek that really means to continually be being filled. It's also in the passive voice, so it's talking about the Holy Spirit's action. And filling happens as we admit our need for the Spirit's help. We say, God, I know I can't, but I know you can. Please fill me. Bill Bright, who was the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ, which is now called Crew, he used to teach a very helpful concept, I think, about being filled with the Spirit. It's kind of a picture that you should be able to grab onto. He called it spiritual breathing. I just wanna check, who knows how to breathe? Everybody here know how to breathe? Okay, then you should be able to get this concept. And it's how it works. It, it works like this. We exhale spiritually when we repent of our sin, when we confess our sin. We get rid of those things that aren't of the Spirit. And then we ask for the Spirit's filling, and that's inhaling. So we exhale sin, we inhale the Holy Spirit. And what I wanna give you is this. We need to practice spiritual breathing. If you wanna be filled with the Spirit, you need to practice spiritual breathing. Anytime you find that you have moved away from spirit help and back to self-help, anytime the Holy Spirit convicts you of sin, anytime the Holy Spirit makes it clear, clear to you that your sin has grieved him and, and that's what sin does because he's a person, then you repent and you confess. <sighs> you exhale and then you inhale, asking the Holy Spirit to fill us. And I wanna say something about this. You don't need to be perfect to be filled with the Spirit. You also don't need to feel anything to be filled with the Spirit. It doesn't say feel the Spirit. It says be filled with the Spirit. So you just, you don't need to be perfect. You just need to be clean. So you confess sin and, and you turn from it and he comes in practice this in your life as you do that every day, breathing out, breathing in, you will find the Holy Spirit's filling coming on you and you'll experience it more and more and you'll see what he alone can do. Now, there's so much more we could talk about from God's word, about God's Holy Spirit, but let's wrap it up here. We believe in the Holy Spirit, amen? He is God's gift to the church to each one of us as followers of Christ. And if we are in Christ, the Holy Spirit is already in us. And so, let me leave you with this. Look to him, the Holy Spirit, for strength and for comfort. See, the Holy Spirit means that God is with you. And we're gonna talk a lot about that in this next month. So look to him also for direction 
and wisdom. The Holy Spirit means God will help you. So God is with you. God will help you. And look to him for truth. The Holy Spirit means God will teach you. The Holy Spirit tells us that God is with us, that he will help us, and that he will teach us. We believe in the Holy Spirit. And this is God's word for God's people today. And everyone says, amen. amen. Would you bow your heads as we pray?